We'll be in 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. As we continue our study in, um, in this wonderful book, it has been um, a great joy and a challenge to, to go through this book. And I pray that even though we've been separated, that it's been an encouragement to you. Um, it's, you know, as it gets closer to spring and, um, and yeah, who knows what's going to happen, but this time of year always reminds me of all the summer activities that we do, you know? And, um, you know, I was thinking about roller coasters for some reason. And, you know, roller coasters are, I used to love them. I don't like them anymore. I won't ride them. And it's mostly because I'm old and I get sick. I don't know. It's one of those inner ear things or something like that. I, I have no idea what that's about. But I, I really do enjoy, uh, or I did enjoy roller coasters when I was a kid. And you know that feeling, you know, if you ride roller coasters, I don't know, maybe some people just, it's no big deal to them. It's not that, that uh, a, a crisis, much of a crisis, you know, or something like that. But for me, there was always this, you know, even though I loved them, there was a hate side of that thing. Because I still remember, AJ knows this place, this place called Carowinds in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yes, AJ knows. And uh, you would be on the roller coaster there. They had all these roller coasters and you're going up and you're going up and you're going up and you hear that click, 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 and all those things. And you're thinking, okay, across that ridge there, it's going to be scary. So there's an ominous feeling about that, Right. Well, as I've talked to different people, as I've read different things, as I've even evaluated my own heart, life in this situation that we're currently in, in this health crisis, it just always feels like there's something looming back here that I can't quite put my finger on. What, what is that, that looming back there? What, what is that issue? Um, you know, as I think about um, you know, the readings that I've done, the kind of, you know, you're, you're praying and, and you're thinking about life as it is now and, and you're wondering about all the ramifications. And that's probably the biggest thing is I look at all the ramifications of this, this sickness, this plague, this virus that we have. And, and so all these questions come to my mind like, will things ever be the same? Uh, will we come to a place where it's normal as we used to know it, or is there going to be a new normal? What is it, what is it going to be like? Uh, what's going to happen to our future? Future for our children, the future for even our grandchildren. I thought about this question a lot. Where is hope? Where is security? Where is assurance? You know, how are we ever going to overcome this? Because really, it's out of our control, isn't it? so many ways. As we turn to our passage this morning, John offers us guidance, really true, strong guidance for this time in, in our need, and really every time, if you think about it. So let's look at 1 John 5, 1 through 5 together. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. 
And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray together. Lord, um, we are thankful for your word. And as we have your word, we realize we're a needy people. We need to understand it. And so we ask that your spirit would come. Would give us illumination, would shed light on it. So come Holy Spirit and enable us to understand what you have caused to be written for our profit and for your glory. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. And we hopefully know by now what John is about. You know, it is about assurance. Uh, John wrote it that um, we would know that we have eternal life. And by now we also know that he goes over and over again three tests that we would understand that we have the faith. Uh, and that is a test of, of, of faith, actually belief. And uh, the, taste of, uh, the test of obedience and the test of love. Those are the three tests. Belief, obedience, and love. And so um, and he wants us to see that if, if we exhibit those, those characteristics, then we can be sure that we have eternal life. And so as you continue through the letter, he introduced this actually in chapter 2, these three together. And as we move along in the letter, what he does is is he goes through each of these in in a little bit of a different way each time, but he keeps coming back to them again and again. You know, I was kind of shocked last week when we did a sermon on love. I'm like, yeah, I think I've done one sermon on love. It tells you how quickly you can forget a sermon even when you write it. I went back and I went, I've done two sermons on love. What am I going to say about this again? You know, that type of thing. Well, well, it, you know, so that's what he's done. Well, as we come back to chapter 5 today, what we see is, is he brings those three um, test together again. And it's almost like a summary. And so what we're going to do is we're going to step back just a little bit. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a common thread here in this. We're going to step back and we're going to see the big view picture of this passage. And, and so this is kind of what we're going to focus on. New birth is, link, is the link between believing, love, obedience, and overcoming the world. It, what what John is doing here is is putting together a tapestry of grace for us. And at the center of that tapestry of grace, there's this thread of new birth. And so what we're going to see as we walk through this is we're going to look at, first of all, the source of new birth is, is, um, the source of new birth is faith, uh, new birth faith. Sorry, I can't say this right. The source of new birth faith is grace. And then the object of new birth is, is faith in Jesus, and then the victory of new birth is overcoming the world. So as we think about the source of new birth, it is grace. It is grace. What do I mean by that? Well, John mentions, and you probably caught it when we read it, but at least several times here, the term born of God, born of God. Now, this is a starting place for everything in our faith. 
When we are born of God. New birth or to be born again is a phrase that many in the church and our culture are familiar with. Especially since uh, President Carter in the 70's. He talked about being born again. And it became this kind of a, a national kind of... All of a sudden, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I always thought as I read that story, that is an interesting statement right there when you're just meeting someone, you know? Now, there's two, there's two possibilities here. Either, you know, there's a conversation that went on that's not recorded in the passage for us, which is possible. It's very possible. But I like to think that Jesus knew exactly what Nicodemus wanted to talk about. And so as Nicodemus is saying, oh, you're such a great teacher and you, you have to be from God. And Jesus says, well, you must be born again. It's like he knows exactly what Nicodemus was to discuss. And, and so as Nicodemus at night continues the conversation, Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus' response Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Then Jesus illustrates the grace essence of it here. Listen. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you don't know where it goes. You don't know where it comes from. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I want you to just think about that a minute. What Jesus is saying is this. Unless God graciously works in our wills, in our minds, and in our hearts, and our understandings, in our affections, unless He works a supernatural work that brings us into the light, out of the darkness... Unless He does that, we cannot see, we will not comprehend, we cannot welcome the kingdom of God. If you, would, you don't have to flip over, but if you were to flip over to John chapter 1, verses 12-13, through 13, you would read this. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you flipped over to Paul and you read 1 Corinthians 2.14, you would read this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If you flipped on into Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You'd know these verses well. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. There is not the result of works. So that no one may boast. And so here we have in our passage today. Verse 1. John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, notice that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. So what we see over and over in the teachings of the New Testament is believing in Jesus here is, is being born again. If we believe we have been born again. 
As a matter of fact, believing here in the text, uh, John presents it here in the present tense of the Greek. And as such, as a direct consequence of our having been born again, which is in a perfect tense. So he is insistent that believing is a test or a proof of new birth. Because new birth is the free grace of God which births even our own faith. Now the question that I have for you is, does that unnerve you? It unnerves a lot of people. It's amazing to me. So here's how I look at that, okay? You know, the wind blows where it will. I can't control it. If I'm with Bear Grylls and we're out there and he's, you know, got me on TV and he's going to have me build a fire and I get that little thing going, you know, a little timber going and, and I get the little spark and I put it in there and all of a sudden, whew, a big puff of wind comes it just blows it away. I'm like, where did that come from? Does anybody know where that came from, where it's going? I, you have no idea where the wind's coming, where it's going. You don't. It's out of our control. I want you to try a superhero thing the next time storms come through Texas. I want you to walk out in your yard and I want you to go, stop wind and see if it works. It won't. It won't. It did for Jesus though. Just be reminded of that. It did for Jesus. So we get unnerved by this. Why? Because it's outside of our control. And so what the Lord is telling us here is, is that this is outside of our control. It is the free grace of God. So let me do the flip side of that for you where you cannot be unnerved by it, but you can be encouraged by it. And that's this. And this is the thing that you have to understand. You have to grasp. You have to grab hold of and say, yes, this is it. When you look at the Bible, is God a good God? Is He trustworthy? Can you really put your trust in Him? Can you? You see, here's the thing. What the Scripture teaches us is that we're all rebels. We all want to be God. I'd invite you to come sit on, and, and the session's not here, they're, on, they're watching. I invite you to come to a session meeting sometime and you could see we all want to be God. Including your pastor. I want to be God. I want to control things. I'm rebellious against the Lord. You know, we have these what's called seeker services. No one seeks God really unless God is seeking Him. It's the Spirit of God that moves in us. And so as we look at this, we can say, I trust God. Where might it unnerve us? You know, I have two, I can think of two and actually three very special friends, very godly men who have older adult sons. A couple of them are older than me. that have never given their lives to Jesus. And it, it eats at them. So you know what I tell them? Trust in your great God. Would I rather put my trust in that man to seek his way to God? Or would I rather put my trust in the God of the universe who stepped into this world to save us? So those are the things that we have to ask. Those are the issues that we have to grapple with when it comes to this. Be encouraged that the maker of heaven and earth 
designed a plan to come and rescue us through Christ Jesus. He gives us new birth. It's all of free grace. Now the second thing as we go closer to look at this tapestry of grace is we want to look at the object of new birth. We want to look at the object of new birth. Um, verse 1 again. We're going to stay in verse 1 for this one a little bit. And we'll look at verse 5-2 here in a second. But everyone again who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now look down at verse 5. As well... Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So what John is desperate for us to know here is that faith trusts Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God, the Messiah, the, the, the one that God promised even all the way back in the garden if you look uh, to, to what he said to Eve. I'm going to send one who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Promise there. And then you have that same promise given specifically with a little more detail to Abraham. And then you also have it given to Moses. You have the promise given to David. And the prophets speak of this promise. And so this faith is insisted upon throughout this letter and all of the Scriptures. The believer who has such faith has been born of God. So let's think briefly about faith and its object here. You have to understand there's faith, but there's an object to our faith. I want you to note that faith rests upon the object, the person of Jesus Himself. In other words, it's not about doctrine. It's not about opinion. It's not about formula. It's not some faith in faith. I read an article the other day when I was kind of researching this about how you know, people just have faith in faith. And I'm like, what is that? Faith in faith. But what the Bible teaches is it's about a person. So let's dig into this a little bit more. Um, English uh, preacher Charles Spurgeon, that wondrous Baptist preacher, of London points out that when John notes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, it means that He is a prophet, a priest, and a king of the church for all these three senses. Which means that He is the Anointed One. He continues, I read this section in a writing he wrote on faith and regeneration. And he, he continues with some thoughtful questions to consider about the object of our faith. So I'm going to paraphrase these. And I want you to note the depth of the way Spurgeon looked at Jesus here. He says this. Do I believe that Jesus is the great prophet anointed of God to reveal to me the way of salvation? Do I accept him as my teacher and admit that he has the words of eternal life for me? Do I accept Him as the revealer of God to my soul? The messenger of the covenant of grace? The anointed prophet of the Most High? Do I believe also that He's a priest? Now, now remember that a priest is one who is ordained from among men to offer sacrifices. Okay, So a priest is one who would offer sacrifices. So that's, that's the way he's thinking about this. He's not thinking about a white collar priest. He's thinking about one who offers sacrifices. Old Testament, New Testament, early New Testament level here, okay? And so do I firmly believe that Jesus was ordained to offer His one sacrifice for the sins of mankind? 
Do I believe that by offering of himself as this once and for all sacrifice that he has finished and made complete the atonement for my sin? Do I accept his atonement as an atonement for me and receive his death as an offering upon which I rest my hope for forgiveness of all my sins and transgressions? Do I in fact believe that Jesus is the one soul only appeasing priest and accept Him to act as priest for me. But finally, He is also King. And if I desire to know whether I possess the right faith, I further must ask myself, is Jesus, who is now exalted in heaven, one who once bled on the cross, is He King to me? Is His law my law? Do I desire entirely to submit myself to His governing, to His government? Do I hate what He hates and love what He loves? Do I live to praise Him? Do I live as a loyal subject and desire to see His kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so brothers and sisters in Christ. What Spurgeon is saying is, is. That everything that I've just described to you. That's who Jesus is. That is who he is. He is the object of our faith. Faith is, a, is an instrument. The object is what matters. That is our object. Jesus this Jesus whom the apostles uh, uh, point to, whom the Scriptures proclaim, this is who He is and this is what He's done. These are the offices that He holds. And so your question again is, is He trustworthy? Is He trustworthy? Is all He is and all that He's done worthy of faith? It's just that simple. If you can emphatically and earnestly say, I accept Jesus Christ as the prophet and priest and king in each of these three characteristics, and I wholeheartedly trust in Him, then you have faith. Then you are a child of God. For it is written right here in this text, He that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Our faith is meaningful. Because the object of our faith is trustworthy and just. And His steadfast love extends forever. So will you put your faith and trust in Him? Now, I want you to think about one more thing from this text today. And I think this is the center. We've come to, to almost a pinnacle here. The victory of new birth is overcoming the world. The victory of new birth is overcoming the world. Let's review briefly. The Spirit of God comes upon us, and and um, one of my Old Testament or, or one of my New Testament professors and theology professors used to say that the Spirit of God comes upon us and He woos us. He doesn't grab us by the collar and say you're mine. He doesn't do that. He woos us. He's He's a loving God. So He woos us to Him. And He reveals to us who Christ is. 
And we receive the new birth. And that birth results in faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as we read here in the verses that following of the summary, as John has been teaching us all along in verses 1 and 2 here in the text, we see that if we have new birth, and we believe in and love God through Jesus Christ, that we will love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so those of you who have new birth, you will love others who have new birth as well. It's the strangest thing. I don't know if you do this. We were watching this documentary the other night. And and there's this gentleman on there. And I look at Chris. I'm like, I think he's a believer. I think that guy's a believer. And so as they're going on, they show his family. And they start praying. Told you. (laughs) How do I know that? I don't know, but I do sometimes. Not always, but I do sometimes. And I think it's because God has set in us a love for one another so that we recognize one another. It's like the old story, and I can't remember. I don't know if it was Spurgeon that might have told that, that, you know, a man got off the train and this, this other guy was watching him and he says, that's a catechism guy right there, I can tell. And he walked up to him and he says, sir, what Presbyterian church do you go to? And he told him, see, that's what I'm saying. We recognize one another. We sense it. We know it. That's what the Scripture is saying here. The second thing that John reminds us of in 2B and through 4A is that if you love God, you'll keep His commandments. You'll you'll keep His commandments. Belief and, and love and obedience are the outflows of new birth. And that's what John's been communicating the whole time here. They're the outflows of the new birth. And all of these mutually reinforce the reality that we have saving faith. So this shows us that the Christian life is one of of heart and one of hand. Um, James says this, you know the famous verse, by faith or faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. You see that in James 2, 14 through 26. So the issue is, is if we truly love God, our actions will show it. If we truly love the church, our actions will show it. John makes it clear that what you desire to do with your whole heart is not burdensome to do. Now, I could give you a great illustration of that. You, you guys, if you've ever had, like if you've ever been a teenage boy, okay, And your heart is like, your mom says, I want you to get up in the morning and get ready for something we're going to do. And you're like, oh man, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that or not. Then you get a call that night. And your girlfriend says, hey, I'm going to go on a trip tomorrow. Will you come over at my house at 7 a.m. and help me wash my car? Oh yeah, I'm there. I'm there. Sign me up. Our hearts will desire to do that which we love to do. That's what he's telling us here. Our hearts will be ones that, that love the brothers, that want to be obedient to God, and want to, and want to serve other people. When we think about the commandments, all of those commandments are about love. It's a law of love, really. Well... As we think about that, I want to take us now to the pinnacle. That's a summary. So I want to take us now to the pinnacle of what I think is the hope in this passage. Look at verse 4 with me. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. If you think back to the questions that I asked at the beginning of this message, will things ever be the same? Will they come to a place where it's kind of normal again, like I've known it? What's going to happen to our future, our, our children, our grandchildren? Where is hope? Where is security? Where is assurance? How do we overcome this? Verse 4 is your answer. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So you see behind the virus, you know, back here, that virus that's back here, behind all the talking heads, and all the, the, the politicians and the conspiracy theories, and, and even beyond what we're going through now, think about all the past disasters. I mean, on a scale uh, compared to um, the pandemics that we have recorded, at least in history, this one's still pretty on the small level. It's amazing. When you think about all the, the, the man's inhumanity to man wars, and I've thought a lot about this, how we're, you know, maybe it's been so long. I would say, I know we had 9-11, I know we had the Vietnam War, I know we had the Korean War and all these things, but it's not really been until World War II that we have faced something like this. Where we're like, what is really going to happen? Behind all those things, behind the pain and the hurt and the atrocities and the sickness and the death, really back here is the world. The world that we live in. Sure, is there a virus looming behind us with all its ramifications? Absolutely. But what about the fear and the failure and the damage and the despair that we all carry within us? What about all the other things that go on constantly? Slavery, abortion, all the things that we see and we read about. It's all part of the world. Now the world meaning the fallen, the sinful, the rebellious tendencies of this world's order in its brokenness and rebellion. But listen to Jesus in John 6.33. Listen to what He says. He's preparing His disciples for departure. And he knows that they're going to scurry like rats. So he's wanting to encourage them. I have said these things to you. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus overcame Satan. He overcame sin. And the world in His once and for all victory on the cross. John Stott exclaims, The new birth is a supernatural event which takes us out of the sphere of the world where Satan rules into the family of God. We have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's dear Son. The spell of the old life has been broken. The fascination of the world has lost its appeal. You see, we, we who have been given ultimate victory over sin and its effects are those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
in all his prophet and priest and kingly glory. It is not the person, but the birth from God which conquers. Because in new life, we are united to the one who gave us victory and who will give us victory. And so in many ways, whatever may come in this world, whatever may come in our lives in the next days, in the next hours, in the next few moments, whatever may come, we have sure victory in Christ Jesus if we believe and hold on to Him. Even when things seem so distraught in our day and and through the various aspects of life, He has promised us victory to overcome this world. To live, if you will, above it as we live through it. He has given us some some important tools to help us along the way. He's, He's given us the church. He's given us one another to encourage one another, to pray with one another, to to help one another. He has given us the worship that we can come to and be restored in our souls. He's given us the sacraments. He's given us the word. He's given us the prayer. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And so when you hear that nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. But all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty back together again. It's not true for those who are in Christ. For we have been redeemed. We're being restored. We have Overcome the world. Actually in the Greek it's a, it's a continual presence. But it's absolutely sure. <laughs> so take the advice of John Owen. As he pointed to the victorious Jesus. Look to me and be saved. Come to me and I will ease you of all sins and sorrows and fears and burdens and give rest to your souls. Come, I entreat you, lay aside all procrastinations, all delays. Put me off no more. Eternity lies at the door. Do not hate me. as that you would rather perish than accept deliverance by me. But come. Come to me. And be restored. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word and Your truth to us. May it encourage us. May it reverberate through our hearts and minds even this week as we contemplate these matters. Uh, Father, give us a breath, a, a, a fresh breath of air of the Holy Spirit. Remind us not only of your complete control, the wind blows where it will, but your complete victory over overcoming this world. We look to you, Jesus. We look to you, Jesus, alone. And we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.